Welcome to a bonus episode. Today we sit down for an interview with Bob Bergen, a prolific voice actor and voice of Porky Pig and other Looney Tunes for 30 years. So strap yourself to a rocket and hope that tunnel isn't painted on because it's time for Frightful Failures! Welcome to another episode of Frightful Failures. I am your ghost host with the most, Zach Romero. Joining me, as always, is your ghost host with the most, T.N. Guignol. And of course, as per usual, our show perpetually changing. We are not doing deep dives on films this week. Instead, we are sitting down in a very, very special interview here. We've pulled some strings, T.N. We've made some calls. We've held some blackmail over people's heads. And joining us... On our episode today is a leader in Looney Tunes, a master of movie mic work, a virtuoso in voice acting. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Mr. Bob Bergen. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, my pleasure. Excellent. So uh, basically how we want to start things off here, Bob, you have done the absolute uh, global tour of interviews. You have talked to all the most important people. You've answered all the most important questions. However, we have to run through the standard, typical podcast questions here just to make sure everyone's brought up to speed here. Okay. So with that being said, our little lightning round begins. Uh, When did you first figure out that you had this amazing skill for voice acting? Really young, uh, like five years old. I would watch, my mom would tell a story that she would be in the kitchen on a Saturday morning doing dishes and she'd hear a line on the TV from a cartoon and then she'd hear the line again and thought that was weird. Why are they repeating that line? <laughs> and she would stand behind me and she would watch me mimicking the cartoon characters back to the television set. So I was, I was really young. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. So from that early age, you knew it was perhaps destiny. Um, it was your calling that you were going to go on and move forward and, and, and play these famous characters. Now, uh, I guess there's no better place to sort of talk about your start as these characters than in 1989. Uh, obviously, no one could have predicted the passing of the Man of a Thousand Voices, Mel Blanc, but uh, we are to assume that it was right around that time that you started to get your connections in with Warner Brothers. No, it was actually before. Um, it, was, it was more like 1982. Uh, that's when I got my first agent, uh, a gentleman named Don Pitts. Um, but he also represented Mel Blanc and June Foray and Stan Freeberg and uh, Paul Winchell and Casey Kasem and Orson Welles and some uh, of the top voiceover uh, artists ever. And I kind of hit the jackpot with my first agent. So I had, you know, even before that, I had been, you know, trying to perfect this one character, but I'd been studying acting and, and improv and voiceover. So I didn't know exactly if I was going to get an opportunity to even audition for these characters. I mean, just because I had a good agent didn't mean I was going to get that opportunity. Um, but I was a working actor uh, when Mel Blanc passed away. So I had an agent who was um, who, who had the clout to get me into uh, audition. Uh, so but it was, you know, several different rounds of auditions and callbacks, uh, even just for that very first uh, gig. And even since then, I've had to re-audition seven times. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a constant. There's, there's, it's not like, hey, got the job, now it's mine. 
um, I'm sort of like, you know, uh, a voice for hire. Like there's been, there've been several actors who played uh, a variety of these characters over the years since Mel Blanc passed away. Interesting. Now, um, I think I, I, I would say pop culturally, or perhaps even, um, just across the internet, uh, you've become very famous for, for being able to really break down Porky Pig as, as a, as a character that you can kind of hang your hat on a little bit. Although, like you said, you're never just laying back and going like, no, it's mine. I called dibs. You know, obviously right. there's still a fight, but I want to know not which voice guards you the most money, which voice are you most famous for? I want to know of your catalog of characters that you've played over the years, what is your favorite voice to do? Definitely Porky. Um, Interesting. And, and, and of, of all the Looney Tunes, I've, I've done him more than any of them, followed probably by Tweety, but definitely Porky much more than Tweety. Um, but, you know, guys, I got into this because I wanted to play this one character. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'll be really honest. I, I remember I was down to my last callback. I didn't know it was my last callback at the time for the first job. And it was for Chuck Jones, who was one of the creators of the Looney Tunes. And I said to my agent at the time, you know, if I don't book this, I think I'm going to quit the business. And she, and at the time I was on a whole bunch of shows and I'd done a whole bunch of features. And she says, why? I said, well, this is the only reason I got into the business to begin with. So, you know, if I don't get this, then what's the point? And she got real concerned because she was making money off of me uh, on, on commission. <laughs> so no, one, no one likes to hear that of like, hey, yeah. by the way, it's all and or she nothing. Said, yeah. She's like, don't, 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 don't be hasty. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, this is kind of why, and I was young. I was like 23, I think I was like 23, uh, close to it, or maybe 26. Anyway, I was, I was, I was young. Um, so, you know, I got lucky. What can I say? So I guess to kind of follow up on that. So being that this was the dream goal, this was, this was the role that you wanted. It's why you started. It's what you've been doing since you were a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like, Prior to this intense auditioning process in 89, I mean, how much sort of insight did Warner Brothers have or did you have where it's like, you know, I think we're going to get to the point soon where they're going to be seeking other voices to do Porky, to do some of these other characters? Well, I mean, you're talking about 30 years. So over the years, when there's another big project, they hold auditions. Um, The first job I did was Tiny Toon Adventures. And... And then they hired me for a few other things without auditioning. Uh, we did a couple of shorts, and then, and I did this. Uh, I did this commercial for Nike with Mike, with Michael Jordan that eventually became the film Space Jam. But when I did the 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 first Air Jordan spot, where you know Michael Jordan comes out at the end and says, "That's all, folks," and Porky says, yeah, "That's my line." Um, uh, the day of the session. I had a cold, I had laryngitis and the, um, the ad agency interpreted that as I'd lost the ability to do this character. What? So oh my yeah, God. I know, I know. So a few weeks later, my agent calls me and says, listen, they're holding auditions for Porky for this commercial because they think you, you, you lost it. And I said, I had a cold. And she goes, I know I told them, but that, but you know, this is what they can do. I said, well, so what do we do? And she said, well, let's audition under a fake name and see what happens. I said, okay. So we auditioned under a fake name and I got the job and walked into the studio and they thought I was somebody else. And that was the first time I had to re-audition. And then the next time was for the movie Space Jam. Um, and I was, uh, I had audition after audition after audition. And I was, I remember I was at this, it looked like, looked like a cattle call uh, at a place called LA Studios in Los Angeles with dozens of people in the lobby reading for all these characters. And the casting director comes up to me and he says, before you walk in there to read for the producer, how many times have you played this character? 
I said, I don't know. I've never counted. And he goes, can you give me like a round figure? I said, I don't know, uh, dozens. He goes, great. When you walk into to do this, and, and I was auditioning for the producer, Ivan Reitman, he said, tell Ivan you've done this character dozens of times. And I walked in and I said, Mr. Reitman, I've been, I've been uh, instructed to tell you I've played this character dozens of times. And without looking up from his paper, he, he says, well, considering there's a lobby full of people looking to take this job away from you, that's kind of irrelevant, isn't it? And Oof. I was like, okay, this is going to wow. be fun. And I ended up getting it. But, you know, the bottom line is, guys, you know, I've, I've gone through this quite a bit throughout my career. And, you know, uh, it's going to happen again. I can guarantee it's going to happen again because my name is not Warner and I'm not a brother. So I don't own these characters. <laughs> well, wow. I, I was going to say, quick burning question here. You go back into the audition pool. You're, yeah. you're fighting for for this job mm -hmm. under a fake name. Oh, fake no, that mustache was, or not uh, no, fake no, mustache? No, no, no. I actually, I walked in as myself. Are you talking about the commercial? No, I'm I, talking I, about the commercial, yes. I you had to come back around I, I, because suddenly, magically, you didn't have laryngitis anymore. Fake yeah. mustache or no fake mustache? No fake mustache and no fake name. I walked in and went, surprise. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. It was me and all I, and along. I, and, I, and I said to my agent, it's going to look weird. She goes, at least you'll have the job. Okay, yeah, great. True. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it all worked out. So to alternate uh, off of which is your favorite character to do, I am curious, uh, given that a lot of these characters you're voicing very, very regularly, what would you say is the most difficult voice to do? Oh, you know what? I don't, I can't think of anything off the cuff, but I will tell you that, I, I can't even tell you what character, but games are quite often very throaty. Um, and so, you know, I'll pass on nine out of 10 game auditions because I don't want to risk losing my voice and not be able to do another job or even audition uh, the next day or later on in the day. So if I see a game audition with a lot of shouting, I'm going to pass because, you know, the, the way you record games is you have to record every possible option the player might have. And you have to deliver each line with the exact same commitment and intent. And it's 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 grueling. It's hard. Um, and there are some creature voices that I'll do that aren't aren't throaty at all. You know, I've, I just recently auditioned for something where they were looking for the voice of, of an alien baby. And they didn't say exactly what the alien baby was. I don't even know what it was for. I didn't know if they wanted human creature or whatever. So I just went to my booth and for 30 seconds, just recorded. And, and I was looking for places in my throat to say, well, which one hurt, which one was too aggressive. And it was all fine. So I just submitted the whole thing. But what I'll do in a situation like that is once I go, okay, that was a little painful. I'll, I'll make a note of it on my file and I'll cut it out. So I won't mm. take my place into that little area of my throat that I can't sustain for four hours. It's funny you bring that up about uh, video games specifically, because I feel like I have heard uh, similar statements from a lot of the big name face actors. People like Gary Oldman have done like one video game and mm -hmm. then they'll go on and say like, yeah, uh, it's a lot of like grunting and I'll make a lot of like uh, death noises and climbing a hill and things like that. And and yep, this was the one game I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I can remember years ago, I think it was the first uh, Star Wars game I did uh, when I was voicing Luke Skywalker, I was looking at th this chapter in the script. It was Death Screams. Oh and it had, it had the 2,500-foot drop Death Scream. Then I had the 2,000-foot drop Death Scream and the 1,500-foot drop Death Scream. And I said, guys, can we just do the 2,500 one and just cut me off 
and just just record it once yeah, and true. cut off cut off the length <laughs> the length you need. And they're like, no, no, we gotta we gotta do them all. I went, can't, okay, can't just fade it out, guys. Can't... Right, right, yeah. But well, there's no, you, there's clearly the subtle nuance of well, if it's a thousand foot death, you know, yell, you have to go. Ah, it's not so bad on the way down. That's clearly, exactly that's you know, the thing exactly. everybody uh, writes about when they're reviewing a Star Wars game is well, you know, it sounded like when Luke fell off the cliff, really sounded like he was falling off a thousand foot cliff and not a three thousand foot right. cliff. And that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, you know, uh, you 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 have to do again the the commitment, the 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 intent has to be the same, even though you do it maybe three hundred times. Because as far as as far as the player is concerned, if it's your you know two hundred and fifty seventh take, it's their first time uh, in that moment in the game, so they need to hear that same commitment. And there are people. Like Fred Tatashore and Dee Bradley Baker and Jennifer Hale, the people that do a lot more games than I do and have a lot, I guess, a lot more stamina at this than I do. But I just, I honestly, I don't enjoy the process as much. You know, I don't, do, I don't, I don't, I don't do audiobooks for the same reason. I could not sit and read a book for eight to 10 hours that I would not read, read for enjoyment. So, mm. and, and, you know, for audiobooks, the, the voice actor is paid for the finished edited hour, not the time it takes to record it. And it's just not creatively, not my thing. Well, I was going to say, since since we are kind of on the video game topic, you have been basically the go-to video game voice of Luke Skywalker since 1996. Um, so just as sort of, I guess, more of an acting question. Mm -hmm. So let's say EA or whoever owns the Star, you know, LucasArts makes a new Star Wars game and they're like, okay, Bob, we need you to be Luke Skywalker, but we need you to be old man Luke from the new modern trilogy. Did you go and like, like you said, you're not, your name isn't George Lucas Jr. So you don't, you can't necessarily be like, I own doing Luke's voice, but would you watch like the more modern Star Wars trilogy and go like, okay, I'm making mental notes that if I have to play Grandpa Luke Skywalker somewhere down the line, I'll kind of build off of the performance I'm seeing from Mark Hamill. Because Mark Hamill seemed kind of like 50-50 on those movies. So I'm curious, do you see something like that and go, ooh, I'm adding this to the context I may have to build off in the future. Well, odds are they would audition. Um, I haven't done Luke in this particular uh, universe right. of, the, of the franchise. Um, and they've had lots of other people play Luke than me in, the, in these games and all kinds of stuff. I think the last thing I did for, for, this, for, for Luke was probably Robot Chicken last right. year. I did, we did a Star Wars thing. Um, but I would probably, I would probably, they would probably audition me. I mean, like the first time I did this. I mean, I, I actually turned down the audition for Luke because I told my agent, I can't do Mark Hamill. I mean, it's just, I just can't do Mark Hamill. And so my agent called the producer and said, we're going to pass. And the producer was like, no, we actually still would like to hear him. And then I, I had my agent check with Mark Hamill's agent to make sure that, that, that he wasn't interested in doing this because I won't, I won't step on another actor's territory. And, you know, if, I didn't know if it was a, a negotiation. I didn't know if he had no interest. I had no idea, but I needed to hear that he was just not interested at all before I would even venture into the, um, to the audition. And he wasn't interested for whatever reason. And I go into the audition. And I said to the producer, I can't do Mark Hamill. And he said, don't do Mark Hamill, do, do Luke Skywalker. And I went, Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and I, and they had to play me some references because, you know, I've, I've seen the movies, but I'm not a diehard fan. Right. So, you know, they, there's, there, there are different sides to his personality. When, when the, when the, when a new hope uh, starts out, he's a teenager and he's kind of whiny 
and he's kind of pathetic. And he, he's just got that sort of whiny thing going on. I don't want to do that. And, and then, and then, you know, a film or so later, he finds this green fella and he kind of uses his mind to pull a ship out of the muck and, and he gets the force. So I, you know, I had to find little, little layers of his personality and the growth of his personality, uh, the progression of it, you know, as, as an actor, that was the fun part is learning, uh, that, uh, progression. So go cut to the last, you know, few movies. Um, you know, Mark's voice, uh, has definitely changed since that first film because mm-hmm. it's what now 40 years. So, yeah. um, every, my voice has changed in 40 years. Uh, I think it's a little bit more raspy now. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark's got a little bit more gravi- gravitas, a um, l- little more age to his voice. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he does it. That's true. I was going to say, Mark Hamill has dipped his toes into voice acting and video game voice acting. So, yeah. Well, his toes are, he hasn't dipped his toes. He's, he's, he's up, he's from the waist down. I mean, the guy is, <laughs> the guy is, the guy is royalty to, in voiceover. His Joker, as far as I'm concerned, you know, is one of the finest, if not the finest, that, that, the Batman universe has ever had. I love you for saying that because yeah. uh, often the debate comes up like, well, you know, let's compare Heath Ledger, Jack Nicholson, Cesar Romero. Who's the best Joker? And the answer every time it's, it's gotta be Mark Hamill for me. Well, and, and, and it's funny because, um, it's sort of like, who's the best James Bond? Who cares? Whatever one you like the best is the best for you. I mean, yeah. There, There is no definitive answer to that, but you know, Cesar Romero, I can, I would, I would venture to guess Cesar Romero was considered really campy in, mm-hmm. in, in 1965, 66, because, you know, they put white makeup on his mustache. No one's going to notice this, um, <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden you get Jack Nicholson, who's literally just doing Jack Nicholson. But True. Jack Nicholson did Jack Nicholson so well, he was perfect for this. And then you get you get Mark. And I've heard Kevin Michael Richardson has done an amazing Joker as well. Then you get Heath Ledger, who has, I don't know if he had like a little piece of chocolate on the corner of his mouth that he kept trying to lick off, but <laughs> but, but but that that, that that little visual quirk was terrific. And then you get uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who found another way to play him. I mean, you know, this is what great acting is. It's finding, you know, layers to an existing character and owning them, making them your own. But uh, yeah, I would love to have been in a in a in a Batman session just to watch Mark do this because he just so head to toe gets into the character. Now it's fascinating that you brought up the idea of not being able to do a Mark Hamill because one of my questions I had here for you is that correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that there's an element of when auditioning for a world famous character like this that is less about doing an absolute pitch perfect couldn't his own mother couldn't tell the difference of Mel Blanc as much as it is just doing kind of what people remember of this character that's been around for decades. Is that something that you would agree with? Yeah, I mean here's the deal. I don't think Mel Blanc when I do Porky. I don't even think I don't come close to his genius. None of us do. When I first got the job um, or my my earlier jobs, they would play me like a 15, 20 minute reference tape of Mel. But some of the clips were from 38 and some of the clips were from 42 and some of the clips were from 56. And I'd be like, well, which one do you want? And they're like, well, what are you talking about? They're all porky. I said, yeah, but they're porky in different, different stages, different directors. And, you know, the, the, the guy was, was kind of, evolving so Mm -hmm. what do you want and they were looking at each other uh, like well i don't know how to answer that so 
I decided, okay, unless I'm asked to play him a different way, my sweet spot for this character is about 1954 to 58, which is, if people know the classic Looney Tunes, it's Duck Dodgers, it's Drip Along Daffy, it's Robin Hood Daffy. To me, that's where Mel and the directors kind of really just found that sweet spot of who this character was. If I'm, if I'm asked to play the character a different way, for instance, um, we're doing these these uh, Looney Tunes cartoon shorts where, you know, if you look at, I've only seen about a half a dozen of them, but they look like they were done in 1943, mm-hmm. the Bob Clampett, Tex Avery style. So I actually do, in my mind, uh, kind of shift gears a little bit to the earlier uh, versions of the character, uh, especially for the slapstick uh, visual comedy. Um, but... You know, it, it's collaborative. Every job is different. I, I will tell you that the hardest part for for any of us that do classic characters is references to today's pop culture. You know, people can, when they hold out these auditions, uh, people who can master the impressions, as you said, of that's all folks or what's up, doc. Um, that's great. But can they read new stuff? I remember one of my last callbacks for the original Space Jam, they had us do uh, Shakespeare. Because they figured if you could do Shakespeare in character and really nail down uh, the character, but also tell the story, you know this character. Now, I saw it was a cold read. They gave me the script, and I was like grinning ear to ear because I thought this is the coolest opportunity. And I'm looking around the room at other people kind of sweating. So I was like, oh, this is going to be, I think, kind of good for me. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm not even sure if I've answered your question, but I, I swear to you, Mel Blanc does not enter my mind when I do a job because I can't come close to him. Uh, he was an original. He was the original. And I just try to keep the integrity of the character. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're going to tease Porky Pig reading Shakespeare and not hear a little bit of that. I don't Oh, okay. Because, uh, you know, Shakespeare is public domain, so it's not going to cost you anything. That's true. Um, That's what's most important about this show. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Uh, I think it was Hamlet. So it was like, to be or not, not, the opposite. Beautiful. So speaking of that, and again, the greatest, you know, trick that you could ever pull right there, just be able to go into that. But you, on the Vanity Fair interview, on I even saw it on TikTok, I believe you went into it in the voice acting documentary that uh, was on Netflix for a while. You've talked about that there is a, there is a almost like a mathematical formula on how to do a proper Porky Pig voice. Yeah. Um, so my question is, how much of the voice work that you've done is reversed engineered to this degree? When you're developing um, a character voice, are a lot of them broken down mathematically like this? Or is it a situation where, like you said, you're just kind of making notes of like, this one didn't hurt my throat, so that one's okay. You know, how Porky Pig seems to be, you you have absolutely perfected the the secret recipe, the herbs and spices. But is that normal for your work? Or is that like a, this is kind of an anomaly. Everybody else is just sort of like, I'm finding the voice somewhere. Well, it's interesting because I don't think Mel Blank thought there's a formula to this. I heard that there was a pattern to the stutter. And just for me to be able to be consistent with it, uh, for instance, uh, if there's a script where there's an there's a joke that the writers want, you know, Porky will say that the line was like, "Where's that? Where, has anybody seen my dog?" And then they write uh, in parentheses "canine" at the end, so they that's their way of telling me. Uh, 
as he's stuttering on dog, uh, turn left real quick and say canine. So, has anybody seen my canine? So, if there's no joke written in, oftentimes I'll just supply an ad lib just for, for, for comedy's sake. I stutter as long as it takes me to think of something funny to say. I don't plan it. Um, in fact, when I get a new script for a new project, uh, they'll usually write in my stutter. And, I, uh, and I'll be like, as, as, as gently as I can, I'll say to the writer, <laughs> can you make, from, from here on, if it's okay, don't write the stutter in because I can't find the story. I'm so busy just trying to decipher the P's and the W's and the T's with the dashes. I can't find the actual word. So if you'll trust me, unless there's a joke you want, which is fine with me, if you'll trust me, uh, I'll know I'll know where to stutter, but I don't plan it. It's just I read the script and however it organically comes out, that's where I stutter. Because if I, if I plan it out, then it's going to sound stiff. Now, creating new characters, I guess the answer to your question is, yeah, kinda. Um, I'll get a picture, I'll get a description, and I'll get the dialogue, and then I have to go through the creative process. Who is this character? Who are who 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 are the other characters within the scene? What is the backstory? Uh, where are they in this scene? This is acting one hundred and one. These are the choices actors make for every audition, whether it's a cartoon or a play or a movie, or or a soap opera. You have to create this character. Uh, I don't necessarily create a formula for a speech impediment or pattern, but what I will do is, okay, he's talking to somebody named Boris, and Boris is obviously an enemy here. It doesn't say why he's the enemy. I need to figure out backstory and create in my mind why he's the enemy. Um, And it's that little subtle choice that I make within the reading that makes it interesting. If you don't make these choices, then all you're doing is reading in funny voices. Right. But but we, the difference between a trained actor and a non-trained actor is a trained actor makes a choice, a non-trained actor makes a guess. So even if you don't have the sufficient information from the producer as to what these choices should be, just making these choices, and if they're solid and if they're interesting, uh, will get you a callback. And you get that call back and you get in the room and they go, okay, your choices here were interesting, but we're trying to go for this. Oh, okay, great. Well, A, why didn't you tell me that to begin with? But also, <laughs> um, because I made a choice, I got back in the room and that's all you really care to do. Now, you talked about performances evolving over the years, playing a character for uh, enough years, hearing the nuance and how you're able to pick out the nuance in you know something like Mel Blanc from 38 versus 52. Mm-hmm. So for your own nuance, uh, how would you say you're able to pick out the difference between how Porky Pig sounds in Space Jam versus Duck Dodgers? Oh, really good question. Duck Dodgers, uh, uh, Spike Brandt and Tony Cervoni it was an homage to uh, Chuck Jones because uh, Chuck Jones did the original Duck Dodgers. And I think that they even in the, in the end credits uh, thanked Chuck Jones uh, in every episode. So Porky in Duck Dodgers was Drip Along Daffy, was uh, Robin Hood Daffy, where Daffy was the buffoon and Porky was his his uh, sidekick who really did have all the answers. Um but he had to play the part of eager young space cadet. So that was easy to do. In fact, that was one of my all-time favorite uh, projects to do for the, for, the, for the studio because I absolutely love that uh, version of Porky. Where if you go earlier on, Porky's, even if he's um, in a predicament, there's a, he's more timid. 
He's a little bit more of a timid character. But with, with Daffy, with Duck Dodgers... Hey, Captain Dodgers, uh, 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 if a phone call for you, uh, I, I think you're in trouble. You will be, it want me to handle it? Uh, aye, aye, Captain. So, you know, it, it, it's just a very different, confident... I'll uh, pick up the pieces, Captain Dodgers. Uh, ...sort of character. Um, but but it's collaborative. So when I, when I like, like for Space Jam, gonna be honest, the characters were in the film, but I don't think that the producers knew these characters as well as... I did. Um, and so there were many times when I would say, I would do, deliver a line and I'd say, can I do one just for me a little bit different? Um, and they never say no. And I, ne- and I have no, no idea or control over which take they end up printing. Mm-hmm. But um, I kind of felt doing that first Space Jam movie that they happened to be in the film. I had to kind of do some heavy lifting as far as character and personality. <laughs> could you tell in the final product? Could you tell, you know, they used the take that was for me? Uh, no, I couldn't because you record something sometimes years before. Mm. Um, I'll tell you what's really kind of cool. Um, and it's been uh, over 20 years, so I'm, I'm going to tell the story. But they videotaped all of our recording sessions. And they do that for every feature because they give those videos to the animators as incentive when they're drawing the characters, facial expressions and body language, et cetera. Um, so I have miles of video of the various takes. I remember there's a scene where Porky screams, the monsters scare him, says boo, and he screams and he looks in the camera and says, I will wet myself. And we did like, I don't know, 20 minutes of different variations of that. I will be wet, 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 I tinkled. And I said, I don't think Porky's going to say I tinkled. <laughs> like, I, I've done some research, ladies and gents. I don't think he's going to say he tinkled. Yeah. So they said, say something else. I said, I probably have piddled. I mean, I, I said, I said, I don't think any of these are going to are going to work. Um, it's just very it's not Porky. And I remember Chuck Jones is one of his biggest critique was I would never have Porky say I wet myself. Well, yeah, I know. But I didn't write the film and I'm, I have no, you know, voice actors don't have creative control. Not to get on a total tangent about Duck Dodgers, but just to sort of echo your sentiment about uh, a total love for that show. It seemed like uh, on that show, not only was there so much love and passion put into emulating some of the old Chuck Jones stuff, as well as uh, a lot of the 50s sci-fi that inspired it, but also it seemed like there was a ton of creative freedom in terms of one-off episodes where the producers just wanted to do what they want to do. Like, you know what? Let's get Dave Mustaine from Megadeth to come in here and, and do a concert and, and play around with Daffy and Porky. How cool was that? And the saddest part about all that was, uh, so Joe Alasky was doing Daffy. I was doing Porky. And there was, we had so much heavy dialogue. We often didn't get a chance to uh, play with the guest stars. So I would have loved to have been in, in the room in that episode, but I wasn't. But I was in the room with Quentin Tarantino. He did a guest shot and Quentin Tarantino comes in with a Fred Flintstone t-shirt and he is so excited. He's like a kid in a candy store doing a Looney Tunes cartoon. And he was like, he was introducing himself to me and Joe, like he was introducing himself to Spielberg and Jimmy Stewart. And I'm like, you are Quentin Tarantino. You know that, don't you? Um, it was, we, I did a, we did an episode with, um, with Ed McMahon. And at the end of the of the cartoon, before he left, he looked at us and he goes, people, I got to say, this was more fun. And 
I don't know if you've watched Late Night lately, but I'm no longer on it. I'm available for more of this work. We did <laughs> we did we did one episode where one week we had um, Burt Reynolds as a guest, and another week we had Lonnie Anderson. And Ooh. I just thought, oh, it would have been so much fun if they were here together just to see the fireworks. That's true. <laughs> so, um, God, I feel like we could have just done a Duck Dodgers podcast here. So, just as a qu- kind of quick aside here, because obviously, you know, you've become, in, despite having to audition, you've become kind of synonymous with with Porky Pig in, in a modern era. However, I want to know how defensive are you of roles that you've played. And specifically, like, you know, going off of IMDb, they list one of your, you know, early roles as doing uh, the English uh, dub for, like, Akira. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so when... Oh, and then they'll, then they'll redo it with a different cast years later? Well, no, later. of course. But, 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 like, when every couple of months when they're like, guess what? We're doing a live-action version of Akira, and here's right. the guy we got who's going to do it. Do you... Is there any part of you that you're like, man, I helped put that together? Like, what the, what are we? Or, for instance, it lists you as additional voices in the movie Food Fight, which is like notorious on the internet. So, are there roles that you're particularly defensive of if if someone comes along and goes like, hey, this was not great, or I, this character, boo? Do you feel like this is your child that you're like, hey, I will see you outside? How dare you? Or is it just sort of like, ah, eh, it's a gig, you know, I did the best I could. If you didn't like it, I don't tell you. Yeah, the latter. I don't care. I mean, (laughs) honestly, I got to tell you, I don't watch 80% of the work I do. Okay. Um, because wow. I, I I always tell people my I, my joy is in the doing, not the viewing, and I'm so picky about my own performance that I kind of cringe. I'll, I'll give you an example. I did this uh, anime called uh, Castle of Cagliostro, where I played Lupin the Third, and I'd never seen it. I I did it in the '90s, and you know I'll go to fan conventions and people will have me sign DVDs and whatnot. And a few years ago, they released it theatrically, and I went with some friends, and I saw it when it was all over. I said, I said out loud, God, I was terrible. That was crap. Oh my God. Why are people even like talking to me? And you know, the audiences are applauding me because they see me. I'm like, oh my God, this is dreadful. Uh, Akira, guys, that was a day in my life, um, 1980 something. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I, I didn't know anything about Miyazaki. I didn't know anything about um, anime. It was the first anime dub I'd ever done. I'm seeing the character. I'm, I I don't even remember the names of the characters that I play. Um, and people, I, I really have to to um, go back and study my career when I go to fan conventions just in case people have pictures of a character that I don't remember. And one of them in, in, in Akira, uh, because you mentioned it, there's a, a, a floating bubble boy. And I want to say his name is like like Mitsubishi or 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 or. or I don't know Yamaha or something like I don't know, <laughs> and 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 I look and I looked at him, and the director I think the director was a guy named Tom Weiner I think, uh, and I did a lot of stuff for Tom but I, I think he was doing this oh there's no it might, it might have been Jerry Beck uh, at Streamline Pictures uh, or Carl Masek I don't know that doesn't matter uh, but I'm looking at the character and I, he to me he looked like Marlon Brando, so he had these big cheeks and he kind of looked a little little, little sad and. And I just did a sort of like a Marlon Brando voice. I said, well, is that okay? And I said, yeah, that'll do. That's how creative I was in that moment. Okay. I wasn't thinking backstory. I was thinking I've got a, I've got a match sink. 
I've got to hear Japanese and try to translate that. I don't translate it, but I have to read the English and, and stay in the voice. And, you know, as long as they say, great, let's move on. Hey, great, let's move on. So that's literally how deep it is what, what, for that particular film. I'm sure That's... you puzzled a lot of fans at conventions when they would have you signed a loop on the third DVD and you would look them in the eye and go, I'm so sorry. I, I was young. Uh, you know, I no, I, 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 I never do that. <laughs> I never do that. But I will have – but here's the deal. I really loved playing him. I mean he was such a fun, lovable uh, buffoon spy mm-hmm. and I, I would love to play him more. I did a handful of films and mm-hmm. I did one, one series playing him. Um, but I think Cagliostro was the first time I played him. Um, but again, you know, you're the victim of the director, the producer, everybody else involved. They're the ones who say, that's great. Let's move on. I have no creative control, uh, over the finished product. It is absolutely fascinating to look back on a film like that. I mean, something like Akira, though, it is widely considered to be one of the most seminal pieces of Japanese animation and of, like, body horror and cosmic horror and things like that. Something that people do hour-long YouTube reviews of, breaking down every part of it, and then to have met you and have you be like, yeah, 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 but wait, what was the name of that character I played? I mean, that was a day. Guys, well, 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 uh, a couple of years ago, I was at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, Mark Evanier does the voice actor panel, and I am sandwiched between Misty Lee and Fred Tattashore. And so we made a pact, the three of us, before we got on stage, that when they're talking to the person to our right, we will be on their IMDb and, and, and give them answers and hints to the questions that we don't know off the top of our head. And somebody will ask a question about a character and I'll look down on my IMDb, and I'll, and I'll be like, "The Adventures of the Squid." Oh, The Adventures of the Squid! Yes, I love playing that 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 show. Thank you. <laughs> and we, we and, and 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 then I would kick Miss. Oh, shoot, no, that was the wrong answer. It's not The Adventures of the Squid. It's Mermaid Man. Oh, I think I'm. I think you mean Mermaid Man. So so I mean, we don't we don't remember unless it's like an ongoing series, or a a a, a film that you do over, you know, two to five years of recording. When you record an animated feature, it's just like shooting an animated feature, or a live action feature, rather. You don't do it in order. You know, your first day of recording mm-hmm. might be the middle, and you might come back six months later and do five days of the beginning. And in my cases, of I've, I only see the parts of the script that, that I'm in. I never see the entire script. So I don't even know the story. So I remember... Um, I think it was The Emperor's New Groove, um, where I played a squirrel. I had no idea why the hell the squirrel popped in this movie and what he was doing. Or he, he, I, then I found, oh, he's just comic relief. He just pops up every once in a while. Okay, I get it. But I didn't know that when I did it. Right. Well, so so kind of going off of that and, and looking at the completely 100% accurate, never a mistake ever IMDb. Oh, um, God. <laughs> a- IMDb, God bless it, but it has... Half of my career is not on it, and 25% is not true, but go ahead. <laughs> that really should be the new, like, uh, the tagline for IMDb. Uh, but uh, so looking at IMDb, an absolutely 100% accurate listing. Right, um, right. According to this, about 70% of the roles that's listed here are listed as additional voices. Yeah, you um, want to know what that is? Well, that's – so I'm, I'm wondering – how does that typically go? Like, for instance, Fright Night Part 2, Total yeah. Recalls on here as, like, yeah. additional voice work. Okay. So how does something you. like that, does it all function? Like you said, like Akira, where you're like, uh, I don't know, this guy looks like this, I guess. I can do this voice. And they're like, good enough. Or okay. Is it, okay. how does it go? So here's how it goes. Um, 
so there's lots of answers to this. Let's talk because you brought up Total Recall. You guys have seen the original, 1990. Okay, so you know the scene where where the where the fat lady is at customs on Mars, of and course. the customs guy says, "Do you have anything to declare?" And all of a sudden, her face splits open, and there's Arnold. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so the, the the actor that played the customs guy was from Austria, and he sounded just like Arnold. Oh, amazing! And and, and the producers thought, if he says, "Do you have anything to declare?" It's when his when his face splits up when her face splits open, they're gonna go, Well, that's dumb. So I revoiced him. So it's my voice coming out of his face. So they so that's where I am lumped into additional voices for that film, because I lent my voice to this character. Mm-hmm. If they were to explain that, okay, so here's the deal. This guy who played this customs guy sounds just like Arnold, so they hired another guy. That's too much for the scroll at the end of the credits. <laughs> okay. So that's that's one thing that they will do for an animated feature. And this started back in the 80s. And I believe it started with Roger Rabbit. Um, So so Disney used to release an animated feature every five to seven years in the early days. Even the 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 um, the leads didn't get screen credit. And it took many, many years for the leads to get screen credit. Um, Then they started doing these more elaborate cartoons with a huge uh, amount of additional characters and voices. So they'd hire voice actors to be on the stage, and it was a pain in the ass for the editor to keep track of every single character that those of us who are not the celebrity leads did. Because there might be a single scene where I'm doing five characters. Mm -hmm. So we made an agreement. By we, I mean Screen Actors Guild uh, back then. Now it's sag after, But back then, we made an agreement that to keep our names in the credits, you don't have to give us per character screen credit. You can lump us into what's called additional voices. And that, excuse me, that's how we kept our names in the screen credit. And that's how we kept on the residual list. So um, that's really what additional voices means. It means that, okay, we're, 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 we have the ability, I call, our, I call us utility players, you know, uh, you've got Tom Hanks, you've got Tim Allen doing Toy Story, and then you've got about 10 of us who are supplying just dozens and dozens of additional voices in the same scene uh, to keep that scene alive. And sometimes an additional voice, like for instance, when I did the Squirrel in Emperor's New Groove, um, it was just a one day additional voice. And then they tested it and they said, well, the audience likes this. Let's, let's draw in some more gags for this character. Great. And then they did, we did a straight to video sequel and they put the character more prominently in it. And then we did three years of a series and he co-starred. So it's not like a lesser than right. it can, it can be, it can become something, something big, but it's, it is so enjoyable from an acting standpoint to be able to stand in front of, you know, to go to Disney at the stage and to play five or six characters in a scene because uh, that's what we do. That's what gets our creative juices going. But long-winded answer to your question, that's what additional voices is. Excellent. Fascinating. Now, um, to kind of uh, round out when it comes to uh, Porky Pig and some of the Looney Tunes, now, given the fame of a lot of these characters, uh, more than likely you've had to lend uh, your voice to them in all sorts of formats, not just TV, uh, not just video games, but possibly toys, uh, theme park mm-hmm. attractions, things like that. I'm curious, what are some of the most odd or notable examples of uh, having to be Porky Pig or any of okay. these other characters? That is a great question. So for toys, 
you have to because that little that little uh, chip, that little uh, speaker is inside a whole bunch of foam and material, and you have to record it in a way that is very clear and sometimes sounds very stilted. I did this thing for Tweety where Tweety was on um, like a perch, like a like a like a bird cage perch, cage perch, and when you would hold the perch and you would have Tweety swing back and forth. Every time he would swing one way or the other, he would sing. And the song he was singing, I don't know, there's a there's a old classic Looney Tunes where Tweety is like, I'm a tweet little bud in a tilted cage. Tweety's my name, but I don't know my age. And by the way, if that doesn't sound completely like Tweety, here's a secret that many people don't know. Many of Mel Blanc's voices were sped up electronically. That's right. So, so my Tweety is sped up about 10%, but that's how I sound when I do it. Well, they didn't want Tweety to say the, the lyrics to that song. They wanted each note to, say, to, to be tweet. So in real time, it would be tweet, 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 tweet. But they needed me to record it with each tweet individually and very long. So it was like tweet, tweet, tweet. Tweet! Tweet! It was the most tedious, boring, and at one point, I guess I was going, Tweet, 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 tweet. And the engineer says, no, you sound like you're bored. I said, because I am. Right. I imagine after that, you just turn and you're like, by the way, this is what hell is. I just want you all to know. Yeah, but you know what? It beats working for a living. I mean, there are True. people out there every single day, you know, doing their thing and sweating and God bless them. And right now we're in a pandemic and they're, 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 they're uh, hospital workers and whatever. And I'm complaining about tweet. So, you know, um, but, the, but, but I, they gave me a copy of, of the, of the toy. And I was like, all right, let me see how this really works. And when you do it really fast, it, tweet, 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 tweet. It worked great, but that was a tedious, boring session. So I want to uh, jump to, you, you are uh, obviously a man of many talents and a man of many hats. And so I know that there's um, basically like a voiceover workshop. You, 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 in addition to being a talent, you are also a teacher. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about really teaching voiceover and technique and recording demos and things along those lines. Uh, in fact, in the Vanity Fair um, uh, video interview, you were giving like constructive criticism to to people trying to do their own impressions of the characters as you that you've famously done. So right. as a voiceover teacher, obviously, I'm sure you're dealing with people of all kinds of different skill levels or practice levels or whatnot. What is one reoccurring annoyance that you saw in performers that drove you crazy personally? Not to be a bad thing necessarily, but just a, you know, what what is something that stands out as like okay here's a common mistake that you know most people trying to get into this do or I swear if you do this I'll slap you in the face what what is something I, as put put on the teacher hat what what are some things to take away from this well I've never resorted to violence but you know I've not had yet. to I I would say the most common is everybody thinks it's about the voice and it's not mm. it's called it's called voice acting with an emphasis on acting um. I, you know, my, my Los Angeles class, I've been teaching for 30 something years and it's got about a four year wait list. So, uh, if somebody contacts me for my class right now, well, first of all, we're not teaching at all because of the pandemic, but, um, I'll say, well, what's your acting background? I don't want to be an actor. I want to do voices for cartoons uh-huh. and I'll, and I'll say to them, that's like saying, I'd like to do ballet, but I don't want to dance. <laughs> 
you know, it, it, it is acting no matter how you slice it. And then you know, they'll, they'll send me an MP3 of their impression of Yogi Bear and Popeye, et, et cetera. And I'll say, well, let me hear your original characters. They don't have any. Well, it's very rare that a classic character is going to come up in the day-to-day auditioning that we do. 99% of what I do is, here's a new character for a new series. Let's create it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm doing I'm doing a handful of shows right now that aren't Looney Tunes where I've had to create new characters. So um, that's where the struggle comes in because they're vocally versatile, but they're not good actors and they're, and they're not trained actors. So what I always tell people before you, it's, it's a very expensive hobby to even pursue voiceover, study acting, study improv, become a superb actor and then study voiceover because if you go into a voiceover class without the proper acting technique, you're going to be spinning your wheels at the mic. Um, you know, there's certain um, layers to acting. The script is a skeleton. Your job is to give it a body. If you don't even recognize it's a skeleton, why are you there? Mm-hmm. So to me, that is the biggest frustration is that people don't really realize that this is all about the acting and to bring those words to life. Wow. I mean, that is absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm curious... Uh, spending as much time around voice acting as you are and, and having peers of such renown, people like John DiMaggio, Tom Kenny, Tom Castellanata, uh, people that are peers of yours, some of the biggest voices in the industry right now. I'm curious if any of them called out sick one day, if there are any voices you've done in front of the mirror that are like, you know, I'm not sure people could tell the difference. Well, it's a good question. Um, the answer is no, and here's why. Um Years ago, I studied with a guy named Dawes Butler, and Dawes Butler was every voice Mel Blanc wasn't. He was Yogi Bear, and he was Huckleberry Hound, and Captain Crunch, and Elroy Jetson. And Dawes had been doing Captain Crunch, I think, since the 60s. And in the mid-80s, they decided they changed ad agencies. General Mills changed ad agencies, and they were holding auditions for Captain Crunch. Well, I refused to audition because Dawes was a, a buddy of mine and he was my guru as, a, as far as coaches go. And so I called him up to let him know what was going on. And he knew because he was told that they were going to be replacing him. And he said, look, you know, I'm not going to be doing this anymore. So why don't you come over? And let me coach you for this audition, because if you get it, I'd be thrilled that, that one of my students got it. Now, I didn't get it. But years later, uh, the cast of The Simpsons was, was going through a negotiation and they held auditions. And mm-hmm. nobody read for those characters. The same thing happened with Futurama. Wow. Nobody read for those characters. I'm mean, going to say nobody. I mean, nobody amongst our contemporaries, our peers. You don't do that, uh, especially if it's a negotiation. Because if you're fortunate to be in a franchise that is that successful, um, you don't want your fellow voice actors to go after your job just because of an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, generally speaking, we don't do that. Um, I'm not going to go, who can I do a great Homer Simpson or what hope so. No, I would never do that to Dan Castellaneta. Um, but there have been situations where actors have literally walked away from jobs or retired or, you know, they, they, they die. And I mean about, oh gosh, I guess a little over a year ago, maybe not even a year ago, my friend Rusi Taylor passed away and Rusi was the voice of Minnie Mouse. The day I didn't even know Rusi had been sick. And the day I heard, I read online that she was she was gone. Um, I got emails from women. Hey, can you do you know if they're holding auditions for Minnie Mouse? Can you coach me? And I'm like, not now, not until after the service. 
Are you kidding me? There's a time and a place for everything. My friend um, Mark Evanier, who has produced and directed Garfield since the 80s, when Lorenzo Music passed away, he was the voice, the original voice of Garfield. Mark tells a story at at, at, at Lorenzo's funeral. Actors were coming up to him. You know, I I do a I do a really good uh, Garfield. Oh. And Mark was making a mental note: never work with this actor. Yeah, again. no kidding. Wow. Yeah. What other yeah. lesson do you take away from that? Is like, hmm. So this yeah. rule is looking to kind of cash in a check. How delightful. Yeah, you know, karma is a bitch, and it will come back and bite you in the ass. And you know, the internet has opened up the opportunity uh, of all genres of voiceover, but it's also opened up um, more people are putting their foot in their mouth than ever before, and it's in permanent ink on 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 the internet. Um, I didn't. If, if people are listening to this and they're like, "Ooh, I want to get into voiceover," integrity and class and morals and ethics, as well as talent. Well, what's amazing is that answer both confirms and refutes a lot of the rumors about the industry being as cutthroat as people make it out to be that uh you know those those descriptions of those emails you got but also the honor that you and some of your peers and the respect that you all have for each other so that's really really wonderful um i'm curious if you were to look at the other side of that coin which is being a fan of animation, seeing roles, maybe it's not a peer of yours, someone you don't know, but just the role itself, if you've ever watched something and said, I love that, I love exactly what they're doing with it, and then thought on the ride home, here's what I would do with it. Never. Good. Wow. I've never done that in my entire life. I don't care. I mean, if, I, if I'm watching a, a film, I'm watching it to be entertained. I'm not watching it to compete. Um, no, I don't do that. So, obviously... I think it goes without saying that we've we've established here that you are a consummate professional in terms of voice acting and in terms of acting in general. You are definitely uh, on that top tier of just being absolute professional first and foremost. But I got to know, has there ever been, and we don't have to name names necessarily, I'm not trying to, to, to blacklist anybody, but has there been a project or something like that in your career that either the feedback you're getting is not good or something along the lines you're like, you know what? Uh, I think we're done here. Goodbye. I'm not tweeting again. I'm not repeating this line. I'm not doing the bubble thing again. I'm gone. Has there been no. anything where it, it pushed you over a line that you were like, I, we can't be doing this. We gotta go. No, no, I'm not that guy. Um, if I'm, if I'm at a session and I'm like clashing mm-hmm. or I'm like, you know, okay, this guy cannot direct himself out of a paper bag. <laughs> they, they have they have no idea how I feel, and they have no idea what I think. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Here we go. Here we go. So 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 so, so years ago, T-Mobile did a campaign where they took all these pop references for over the years of endings, and they changed it from goodbyes to hellos. Um, so for Porky, they had, you know, Porky comes out of the drum and says, that's all folks. Uh, so they had me do it to picture from the old 1930, whatever, uh, ending of a Looney Tunes cartoon. And I'm being directed over the phone by some ad agency elsewhere. And I'm in a studio in Santa Monica and the ad exec says to me, now I've really studied this character and this scene quite a bit. Um, he stutters three times and says, that's all folks. And I said, I think it's four times. He goes, no, no, listen to me. I know this character. Mm-hmm. It's three times. And then instead of saying that's all, folks, I'm supposed to be, it's supposed to be, hello, folks. And I said, I don't think that'll work because there's going to be an extra lip flap. He goes, listen to me. You're not listening to me. And so the, my engineer in, in, in my studio 
without pushing the talk back so the pr- producer couldn't hear him. He looks at me and he goes, should I tell him you've done this before? I said, oh, absolutely not. I am about to get a tremendous amount of overtime. <laughs> <laughs> and I spent, I mean, this, this, you're booked for 90 minutes for the contract. And I was on like hour two or three. There you go. And I'm and I'm being very nice, and he go and he's and I can hear him sweating over the phone on, on his other end, and I looked at the I looked at the engineer. I said, okay, it's time to take him get him off the hook. Okay, I said, hey, can I try one for me? And I did it with the four stutters. He's like, yes, yes, that's it. And I said, well, dude, it was your it was it was your great direction. I finally got it. I am so I'm so sorry. Sometimes actors are dense, but I'm so sorry. Like, Mr. Ad Agent, are you sure your last name's not Kubrick? Because wow, right? your directing prowess just unbelievable. Exactly, you, Kubrick Spielberg hyphen it. Oh my god, <laughs> marry the two. Absolutely. There you go. Um, no, I know that uh, oftentimes you've been uh, asked to, if we can ask some of your characters questions. I've got a couple of uh, those sorts of scenarios, if I okay. might. Indulge sure. you. That's um, fine. But, but I think I'd like to hear some of the characters in maybe less contemporary situations, situations that they probably wouldn't often be in, or at the very least, as Roger Rabbit taught us, these characters do have lives outside of the cartoons True. that they right. came and, and we, film in their nine to five every day. We've discussed, so to, we've discussed the magic of the art, the performance, yes, not just the words. Precisely. So okay. I'm curious, possibly, uh, <laughs> just to start you off here, uh, softball, yeah, an easy one. So uh, Porky Pig sees an error on his check and is trying to point it out to the waiter. Pardon me, miss. Uh, 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 I beg your pardon. Um, I, I didn't eat the bacon. Uh, I wouldn't eat the bacon. Uh, it, it, trust me, it's it cannibal. It's cannibal. It's cannibal. It's disgusting. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, Luke Skywalker uh, having to awkwardly reunite with Darth Vader at his kid's bar mitzvah. Uh, uh, can I can I call you, Dad? I didn't even know we were Jewish. <laughs> um, it's been a while, so, uh, you know, take a moment if you need it, but no face from Spirited Away being cut in line at the supermarket and wanting to say something about it. So I'm going to, there's there, there are many sections of the film where no face kind of played different because there's a scene where he eats the frog and he becomes this giant frog-like creature and then he vomits all kinds of stuff so i'm going to take that version of no face okay so <laughs> so tell me tell me tell me where we're we're, we're we're being cut in front of the of the yes you're at the supermarket obviously we're all practicing social distancing but you were just cut in line as no face and you'd like to say something about it <laughs> toilet paper you 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 have toilet paper? What what aisle? What aisle? Gimme! 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 <laughs> Fabulous. And, and, and finally, way, it's, to, it's, to it's round been, it out. It's been so many years since I've seen that film, and I again, a day in my life, I hope that's what he sounds like. <laughs> I'm, I'm certain there will be people who go back and compare. Right, <laughs> but, yes, uh, and and the... finally, to round it out, uh, Bucky the Squirrel trying to console a recently divorced friend. (laughs) 
I, I can't hear that voice and not, there, there's just a part of me that's compelled that just automatically goes into like, oh, jeez, little buddy. <laughs> he says, uh, squeak, squeak, squeakers. Uh, yeah, squeak, squeak. squeak, squeak. By the way, that's, that's very good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. To hear that from you. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, uh, thank you so much, Bob. So this has been an absolutely wonderful interview. Um, I did want to, uh, bring up one more thing here, which is that, well, Zach and I, uh, you know, we're always looking for more gigs and we were curious, you know, obviously everybody wants a little bit of time off. If maybe we could show you uh, a little bit of our impressions of some of your more famous voices and maybe you can give a little feedback I mean, maybe if you like them you know you, you pass the word along and then you could take a day off and we'll be happy to come in step in be the understudy you know what i mean yes because you know i'm i'm dying to find understudies go for it <laughs> yes so yeah we've learned, please. so um here it's clearly right. you know that oh so i guess i'll start off i mean yeah. obviously uh, no better place to start than porky pig right. so um all right here we go mm. Ah, oh, got sorry, a little bit of vocal warm up here. Me, 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 me. Um, suffering succotash. Ooh, very good. Okay, so here's the deal. If you're going to try uh, uh, a, a classic character, okay. uh, number one, uh, you don't use another character's catchphrase because oh. that's, you know, uh, that's wrong. Oh, so well, that's, oh, I thought that was Porky Pig. No, he, that's, he takes... that's, that's either Sylvester or Daffy. They both oh. say suffer and suck a dash. Oh, now, can you okay. can you say suffer and suck What is this crap? <laughs> oh, God. Okay, all right, fine. Uh, Zach, why don't you try another character? I don't okay. think I can mimic that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I've been working on this for a little while now. Obviously, we talked about uh, you know you being the go to guy for 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 Luke Skywalker for many games for many years. So here. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> Yoda, make it so. Oh, now that was beautiful. Oh, I got chills, Zach. <laughs> well, all right. What do you think, Bob? Um, S E W or S O? I mean, I'm not quite sure how, how this fits into the Star Wars universe. Is that wasn't that like um, wasn't that a little bit more like Next Generation? Is that Star Trek? It, it, it might it, maybe uh, make it so uh, like S E W. That would be good. That could be like a good spinoff if there was like a a, a crosshatch sort of video well, game. I assumed it was you like a camp. The that I was like a, it was like a summer camp that I was. Yoda Yoda had to keep himself occupied in that that planet of muck. That's so maybe, very maybe, true. That's very maybe, true. Um, maybe he had okay. A all right. Well, how about on, um, now? I know you've done Marvin the Martian, um, so I think if I may speak a little boldly on myself, I do a pretty good Marvin the Martian. So um, let me just uh, again. I got to get in the right headspace for this. So, all right, here we go. All right. Um, what's up, Doc? That's that's my favorite. That's my favorite. It's good, right? That's what that's what he says all the time, right? Maybe, maybe when he's when he's when he's uh, going for a physical, uh, but uh, no. oh, uh, yeah, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, well, uh, obviously, Zach, I think what we're, what we're hearing here is maybe uh, you know we're we're not necessarily cut off for the business, but you know, I I know that Bob just loves being asked to do all these impressions off the cuff. So, Bob, if you could just hit us with a little bit, round us out, do your famous voice, Peter Griffin. Let's hear it. I'm thinking it loudly. Oh, I don't. Um, do, I don't. I, I don't. Do, I, don't do, I don't do Peter Griffin. No. Oh, that's not mine. Oh, 
Um, uh, let me check okay. my notes here. I thought, okay, that might yeah, be... I might be. I mean, I, I mean th- these notes are from Zach, so really, yeah, I mean, it's me. his fault if he got this wrong. Z- Zach, okay, f- ask him to do his other big voice then, Zach. Come on, yes, you're yes, making us look yes. like idiots um, here. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 um, can can we get Bob? Bob, can we get your fame, your real famous, very good voice of um, uh, oh, what is it, Leela? Lilo from Lilo and Stitch. Get, get, hit him! Hit him with the good stuff, Bob. Hit him with the heat. Uh, it's not mine either, guys. Okay, oh. Zach. I knew you were gonna mess this up. I, You're embarrassing no, it's me in it's front on of IMDb. Bob. Burton. This it's, is really. Th- this is okay. Fine. I'll just then. Let's just round it out, Bob. Hit it strong. You know, on a on a on a classic point. This is probably how you've ended half your interviews. Hit him with it. Beetlejuice from the animated series. Let's go. You know, I think I got to go to my kid's bar mitzvah. Oh. Oh yeah, um, I think, yeah. I, th- I think we're gonna probably end it with that. Oh, uh, okay, uh, okay, all right. Nothing, well, nothing, uh, nothing, nothing personal, guys. I just don't do that. That character. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, well, <laughs> great to talk to you, Bob. And yeah. oh, I think he hung up. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, well, all right. Well, I guess that's all, folks. Well, um, I have here. Okay. I have here on my notes. Uh, the follow. Um, if you're looking for social media. Um, Bergen.bob on Instagram, Bob Bergen on Twitter. And please, please, I believe it's May 27th. Check out the Looney Tunes cartoon shorts on HBO HBO Max. Max. Yeah, so that's, that's, that should be good. So, uh, incredible interview. Um, A thousand thank yous to to Bob for being on the show. Uh, For everybody here, for for Tian Gagnola, I'm Zach Romero. Thank you so much for listening to Frightful Failures. And please continue circulating the tapes.